Hello and welcome to the Magical Midlife Podcast, where you get a refreshing, uplifting and optimistic perspective on life in your 40s and 50s. I'm your host, Lindsay DeSwart, and I'm delighted that you've joined us here today. So let's jump right in. Hey, welcome to the show today. Today, I am delighted to be interviewing Kim Martin, who is a Generation X health coach. And so we talk about her journey through perimenopause, through menopause, and through nutrition changes that she made. And also, she's got some fantastic advice for us with nutrition changes, simple changes that we can make. So I hope you enjoy the show today. It's a delight to have Kim on The Magical Midlife today. Hi, Kim. How are you doing? Oh, hi, Lindsay. I am doing really well. How are you doing? I am awesome. Thank you. And very excited about our conversation today. Oh, so am I. Thank you very much for having me on your show. You are so welcome. I know it's going to be a good show and I know that you're going to be able to share lots of useful advice that I know I need and I'm fairly sure that other people need it too. So, but first of all, before we get into all of that really good stuff, I would love to know more about you. So can you tell us a little bit about you and then we'll move into your journey as to how you end up doing what you're doing today? Okay. That sounds good. So well, my name's Kim and I am a certified health coach. So I live in Ottawa with my family. So those of you who aren't from Canada might not know Ottawa is the capital city of Canada. Um, so I did grow up in Ottawa. I was born in Montreal, grew up in Ottawa. I left for close to 20 years, lived on Vancouver Island with my first husband. Our kids were born there. And then I moved back here um, about seven years ago. So that was after my divorce. Um, so packed up the car and the dog and we drove across the country. So that was an adventure in itself. Oh my goodness. Um, How long does that so, actually take to drive across Canada? Uh, it took us, well, we stopped every night. Yeah. Um, and it took us, I want to say, I'm, I can't remember now if it was six nights with seven days or five nights. Wow. I mean, we didn't, we didn't stop and do a lot of sightseeing along the way. We did, we did a few stops and, but, um, but no, we just, we mostly just drove, you know, we would drive between eight, 10, maybe 12 hours in a day, depending on how far we wanted to get. And, um, and then just stopped and sort of took in the sights of the town that we stopped in for the mm -hmm. night. And then we'd carry on the next day. So, no, it was quite an adventure. <laughs> I bet it was. My goodness. <laughs> cool. And then, so you come back here or back to Ottawa anyway, and then tell us, tell us more about what's happened since. Okay. So came back to Ottawa. Um, I'd reconnected with an old friend and um, who lived in Toronto at the time we ended up getting together. So we got married in 2017. So now, you know, he and I and my two kids live together in our house here in Ottawa. So and actually, that's a funny story because it was someone that I'd, I'd, I knew when I was a teenager. We actually went on one date back in 1987 and um, and my mother remembered him because he came to the house to pick me up. I was 18 years old <clears throat> and he took me to the National Arts Center to see Handel's Messiah at Christmas time. And my mother was a big theater or arts and culture buff. And so that impressed the heck out of her. So all those, all those years later when I said, oh, well, hey, do you remember this fellow? She goes, oh, I do. He was so nice. I really liked him, even though she met him one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> but, enough. <laughs> But anyways, to the power of Facebook, we, you know, reconnected and, you know, the rest is history, I guess. So, oh, that's so, yeah, such a so, cool story. 
Yeah, yeah. So but without Facebook or social media, you know, social media has its ups and downs, but you yeah. know, this 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 one, this story ended up uh, really happily for both of us. So oh that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Put a smile yeah. on my face all day long now. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That's so cool. yeah, so I moved here. Um, and I had given up a 17-year career. Um, I worked 17 years in a nonprofit organization on Vancouver Island mm-hmm. in Duncan, BC. It was um, a community development and business development um, organization. So we helped small businesses get started. We participated in lots of community projects. I started there in 1998 as um, a community economic development intern. And then I had several jobs there throughout the 17 years I was there. And then when I left in 2015, I was a program manager. So I did a lot of proposal writing, funding proposals for our organization and other nonprofit organizations in the community to get community projects up and up and running. So, so that was an interesting career. But when I moved back here, I kind of thought, I'll just get a government job because, you know, I have all this experience from, you know, working in nonprofit, but I don't speak French and living in Ottawa and trying to get a government job, you know, being yeah. bilingual is really not essential, but it's, it's really preferred. So I ended up taking over uh, a friend of mine, she was giving up her house cleaning business. So I ended up taking that on. So mm-hmm. I did house cleaning for a few years. Um, <clears throat> and that was, that was kind of my first foray into being self-employed. And yeah. I really liked it. I didn't especially like cleaning houses. I didn't mind the work. It was physical work and I got my exercise in that way. Mm. But I liked being able to be there when the kids left for school in the morning, be there when they got home after school. And that, that was my first taste of being self-employed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2017, and this is where my life kind of changed, started to change. So in 2017, um, I wasn't married yet to my husband. We were, um, we were, we had everything planned for May of 2017, but he got sick in February and ended up in the hospital um, and ended up with open heart surgery. And so he was in the hospital oh for, for a month. Yeah. He ended up with, um, it's called endocarditis, which it's, it's just an infection that, yeah. It's, well, it hit his aortic valve and just basically destroyed his aortic valve. So by the time he felt really sick, got him to the hospital, um, next day they did open heart surgery and replaced his valve. So wow. he ended up being in the hospital close to a month. <clears throat> I suggested we postpone the wedding, which was supposed to be in May because he was in the hospital for pretty much March. And then, but he needed to recover and get his strength back and everything. But he said, no, 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 we planned this. Let's go ahead and do it. Turns out that was the right decision because that was end of May. We got married. By the end of June, I got really sick. Um, and it took me about two weeks before I went to the hospital. And then I ended up with surgery and stayed in the hospital for 10 days. Um, and then a week after I got out of the hospital, my mother died, like just unexpectedly died. Um, she'd, I don't know if she'd had food poisoning or picked up a virus. My sister had talked to her one morning and my mom had said, oh, I've been in the bathroom all night. I haven't, you know, I don't know what's going on. The next day she wasn't answering her phone. So I went over to check on her and there she was in her bed. So those oh my goodness. three things happened in the span of about five months, all these health related things. And my mom, I should say she was 76, but very active, seemingly healthy. Um, 
they figure it was maybe a heart attack or, or something related to being dehydrated because she'd been like vomiting and, and everything for, for a while. But um, so, yeah, so those three things, those three kind of major things happened in the span of five months. And I started thinking like, well, first my mom was healthy. I thought I'd been healthy. My mm-hmm. husband had been pretty healthy. He's got some medical issues that are uh, genetic, but um, I thought, you know, there's so many things that can happen to us that are outside of our control. And what are the things that I can do that are within my control to ensure as much as possible that I stay healthy and my family stays healthy. So that's mm-hmm. how I started to talk or to think about studying nutrition. So I studied nutrition first and then fitness. And then I did some um, overall health coaching and I'm actually taking a certification right now for sleep, stress management and recovery. So pretty soon that will be added to my, my list of credentials, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was really a life changing or an eye opening five months that that led me into this um, career change. Absolutely. So when you said you started learning about nutrition, Mm -hmm. in what context or what made it different? Because I mean, you know, anybody there's the the eat your five or however many the number is now vegetables per day and you Mm -hmm. should eat Mm -hmm. vegetables and cut down red meat and you know high fat's not great for you but so there's there's kind of the standard advice Mm -hmm. when you learned about nutrition what did it um you know what did it teach you or what did it change about what you did because you thought you were leading a healthy life anyway well, I thought I thought I'd been leading a healthy life because I had I had been a runner for a number of years right. um, that I had kind of scaled back on a little bit because I found I couldn't do the distances that I like to do. Um, and but I'd never really done any kind of strength training. I'd wanted to get in good shape, look good in my wedding dress. Mm. So, you know, I hired a personal trainer. I counted my calories. I even counted my macros. And but I wasn't at that point, I wasn't focusing on the quality of my food. You know, right. it was just, okay. you know, like I knew I could have, you know, from macros, um, you know, I knew I could have like so many carbs in a day. So I would save up some carbs for the nighttime so I could have my wine because, you know, mm. wine is carbs. Right. And, you know, so like I wasn't I was only looking at like how everything fit into my allowances versus what the quality of those calories really were. So when I started to study nutrition, I was studying the science of nutrition, you know, like why you know, the quality of our calories matter, the kinds of foods we eat, how they interact with each other, um, why whole foods are better than you know, processed foods, even if they have like, say, the same amount of um, same grams of protein um, or the same grams of, of um, carbs, you know, that kind of thing. And so just how everything works together within your body. Um, and so as far as nutrition and fitness and, you know, total health goes, like, if you're only going to focus on one, I, like I would say it'd be nutrition because, you know, what you eat really affects just about everything else and affects like affects your health. Um, mm-hmm. If you eat well, you have a much better chance of being healthy. You, you know, you feed your body with the nutrition that it needs. It, um, it will perform better for you. You'll sleep better. You'll have more energy to do the things you might want to exercise more. You'll probably sleep better. You'll probably manage your stress better. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
but also I didn't really realize at the time when I was starting to go through this and, and maybe why it's a reason why I got sick in the first place, you know, besides all the stress in my life. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. but, the, but the, the stress I probably could have managed better if I was eating better, if I was exercising a little bit better, um, exercising for, you know, strength and endurance and all that versus just, I want to look nice in my wedding dress. Yeah. Um, you know, the way I thought about food and fitness and, and everything else really changed in that time. But I also didn't realize till a little bit later that I was also going through perimenopause. Like when I look mm-hmm. back, I was going, I'd probably started perimenopause even in my late thirties. Um, right. You know, just, you know, I had, I had my last baby when I was 34, she was actually born on my 34th birthday. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then after her, after she was born, I kind of, I kept waiting for my period to, to get back to normal, even though I didn't really know what that was for me because before my first baby, I'd been on birth control Mm. basically up until the time I got pregnant. And then uh, baby number two came, you know, I was pregnant when baby number one was about 16 months old. I was Mm -hmm. still breastfeeding her. Um, so I, I didn't know what normal for my period was, but it was, you know, like even in my late thirties into early forties, it was, you know, that heavy, like endless periods. And, Hmm. um, so that started and, you know, anyways, there's lots of examples of things that had happened that were probably were related to perimenopause, although my doctor never said anything about it. You know, they just (laughs) treated symptoms and, and even though looking back, honestly, I I hear it all the time from everybody's yeah. like well I went for help but nobody knew what to say nobody knew mm-hmm. what help to give me oh yeah. my goodness thank god we're waking up to our own bodies oh I know and, I, and I'm glad we're talking about it now too because when I for I only found out I was in perimenopause just by googling symptoms and then this word kept coming up and I'm like <laughs> okay I guess that's what's happening to me but at the time you know when I when I look back I think oh my doctor because it was a, a woman doctor and she was slightly older than me. So like looking back, I think, was she not going through any of this either? Or maybe she was and the dots weren't connecting for her either. I don't like, I don't know. Isn't that amazing? So, so with, with the nutrition, there's definitely the quality of the food. And I, the, the phrase mm-hmm. that's going through my head is my um, fitness trainer for many, many years. And she always says, you can't exercise your way out of a bad diet. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Oh, God, that's the worst news for me because I've always exercised and I've always, and, you know, run marathons, all sorts of things. And I've always said, I guess I I always thought I was eating quite healthily, but I've always had too much sugar in my diet without Mm -hmm. question. And I guess the symptoms of perimenopause um, and menopause that's the real kicker for me is like, oh goodness, I can't exercise my way out of a bad diet. Damn. <laughs> so no, tell I me know. What, well, what should I be doing? Well, yeah. Well, I, I was the same as you. You know, like, I was a runner for many years and uh, and I liked running, but I used to say too, I run because I love to eat, you know, but it wasn't just that I love to eat. I love to eat the things that I probably shouldn't have been eating or, yeah. or too much of the things that I shouldn't have been eating. I, I love my sugar. I love, I love my treats. Right. And I yeah. still do. And, but I find when I do indulge in them now, you know, because I'm a firm believer of the 80, 20 rule, but when I use my 20% to eat, you know, the package of Oreos, like, you know, 
my hot flashes flare up. I feel like garbage. I, you know, like mm. I, I really feel the effects of it. And sometimes even as I'm enjoying that Oreo, I think, oh, I shouldn't be doing this because it's, it's not going to be worth it. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so, no, it's absolutely true. You can't outrun a bad diet. Um, mm. You know, you've heard abs are made in the kitchen. There's, there's all that, that stuff. I mean, cause you can exercise, you can get yourself really strong, but if you're not eating the foods to support your strength and to support everything else, you're, you're not going to reveal those abs. You're not going to, to feel, you're not going to feel like you want to get out there and run that marathon or, you know, lift those weights or anything else. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that, that I've been learning as far as, um, as far as exercise goes for, you know, women, our age and our stage of life, it's, how we exercise needs to change. I mean, we can't go for those, you know, half marathon length runs anymore because that actually does, you know, so much harm to your body that it didn't seem to do back when we were, mm. you know, before we were in perimenopause. Um, you know, it like took all, that, yeah, I was going to say, it took me so long to recover from my last one. And I actually went to a naturopath and just went, what is going on? You know, and mm -hmm. I just, to be fair to Jill Ann, who's also my naturopath, but has, was one of my first guests on the podcast, mm -hmm. when she kept saying about sort of menopause um, symptoms, perimenopause, I mean, I just rolled my eyes and I was like, oh, God, not this. What is this anyway? And mm -hmm. actually realized that it would make such a difference if I really listened and did something with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, I know. Well, there's a reason that they tell us some things, but also when you think, you know, some doctors don't know much about menopause or perimenopause at all, you think, well, the ones that are talking about it a little bit, like, are they even giving me the right advice or should I listen? Like, you know, like it's just, it's, it's a lot of self-discovery too, because you know, just with everything as with everything else, I mean, your experience of perimenopause or menopause is going to be different from mine. We might have mm. some of the same symptoms, but how you feel is going to be different from me. So as with anything else, you kind of have to do trial and error for as to what works for you for the food, uh, for the exercise for, you know, your methods of stress management, too, because I mean, really, that's, that's the kicker for for women in menopause or, or in a stage of menopause. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm on the other side of it now, like I'm in, like I'm full, I'm postmenopausal now, like full blown. But uh, I still have, I still get some symptoms. And I feel like a 1000% better than I did on my worst perimenopause days because mm. I would never want to go through that again. But, um, but as far as like exercise goes, like we can't have those marathon sessions of exercise like we used to, because it just, it, it's too much stress on our body. I mean, exercise itself is stress. Mm. Um, you know, and then there is like distress and new stress. Um, and the use stress is the good stress. Mm. But when we exercise for too long, like, so when it sort of goes past that half hour, 40 minutes, even then it starts to become too stressful on our bodies. And then that's when, you know, like we all know the, the role cortisol plays in our, um, you know, in our, you know, like it'll settle in our bellies and it'll, you know, make us not, uh, not deal with things the way that we should be dealing with them. And so when you exercise for longer than that half hour, 40 minutes, and then that that's when it starts to become not beneficial for us. So, um, I, I do still run periodically, but I do like a 20 minute run or a half hour run. I used to think back when I was training for my half marathons or even 10 marathons, 10 K marathon or 10 K races, mm -hmm. 
I used to think, ah, like I'm, I'm not going to bother going out for a f- running a 5K because it's not it's not worth it. It's yeah. less than half an hour. Like, but that's not going to do anything. But now, like that that seems to be the the sweet spot for me. So actually, I'm slower than I used to be. So when you were running the 5Ks, 5Ks is your optimal. Yeah, yeah. So now I find like the 5K or even like well, just a half hour running, and I don't quite get to 5K now. So, but 5K is sort of my and I can enjoy it, and it's a it's a nice quick run, it's a nice quick exercise. But you also in our stage of life, we don't want to be doing too much cardio as well. Mm-hmm. We we obviously need our our cardio exercise during the week. It's 150 minutes a week of um, elevated heart rate. But for women our age, we need to focus more on the strength training. And so a lot of women don't want to do that. They, they hear strength training and they think bulk up like a man, which, you know, couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. It's just just not possible, Mm. but um, it is something that we need to do. So whether you like to go to the gym and lift weights or, you know, even just do body weight resistance kind of exercises, it's important that women our age start doing, start or continue doing these because, um, well, as part of menopause and our estrogen drops in menopause, um, it, um, it really affects, well, it affects a lot of systems in the woman's body, obviously, but it really affects our, our bone density. Um, men, men lose bone density as well as they get older, but the, the drop in estrogen really sort of drops our, our bone density. So when your bone density, when you start losing bone density, you can build it up a little bit, but it's much easier to maintain what you've got rather than try and build it up a little bit more. Um, so the strength training really it's to build your muscles, but also mm-hmm. it puts the pressure or like the, the muscles kind of pulling on the bones, make the bones a little bit stronger. So you maintain your muscle strength, you maintain your, your bone strength. So if you fall, you have less, less of a chance of breaking a hip or breaking a leg as you get older, which is, you know, a real, a real worry, a real risk actually for people as they age over 50. So men and women, but women, especially the estrogen, you know, losing the protective benefits uh, of estrogen really impacts a lot of systems in our body, not just our, not just our bones, but Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our brains as well. Um, you know, there is that link now between a drop in estrogen and Alzheimer's for, you know, for women and which I guess, um, I guess their finding is a reason that women, um, tend to have Alzheimer's more often than men. And it's, it's really, related okay. That one I wasn't yeah. aware of. Yeah. So, so that, yeah, it's, it's fairly new studies, but the thing is with a lot of medical studies, and I'm sure you know this too, but they've all been done on men, just like, you know, other, uh, you know, men and boys is when like all these health studies are done on. And so, so all the symptoms, all the, everything else, it's the symptoms that are showing up in men, but women can have the same things, but they show symptoms differently. Like my, interesting. yeah. I mean, even for things like autism, and I know this because one of my daughters has autism and when she was younger, I, I used to look at her and like, listen to her and I think, oh, I almost think she's somewhere on the autism spectrum. And, you know, a couple of times I'd bring it up with doctors and they say, no, no, she doesn't because, you know, this, 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 and this. But when you look at symptoms of autism in children, the studies have all been done on boys and the symptoms present differently in boys than they do in girls. And which is why that boys seem to have um, are on the autism spectrum more than girls, but you'll find that later on, 
So late teens, early twenties, like young women, my oldest daughter, she's 20 now. And she's just, you know, she was officially diagnosed just a couple of years ago, but that's why women, young women, and even, you know, middle-aged women will go and get themselves tested now and find that, yes, they do fall on the spectrum. So, so this goes, you know, for all kinds of health, um, health studies. And so when you think of the Alzheimer studies that, you know, they probably probably have been done on men all these years, but now when they're starting to do some studies on women, and then they're finding that the, um, the drop in estrogen sort of correlates to, to the Alzheimer's. So, I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of studies, you know, that need to be done to confirm all of this stuff, but it's just, it's just one of those things that, you know, the curse of being a woman and, you know, you drop your estrogen and all these other things can happen to you, but you know, in the past, nobody really knew about it because it wasn't studied because we're women, you know. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. This is just like, oh, come on. And of course, yeah. you wouldn't. OK, you wouldn't. One wouldn't. I certainly didn't assume that all the medical testing is done on men or boys. Mm-hmm. because That seems absolutely ridiculous. And I just wasn't oh, it aware does. of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, no, if you if you look, I mean, there's, you know, like some studies that have been done on women for, you know, particular issues that only affect women, but there's not, there's not a lot of studies. It's just, you know, when you go back and look at medical studies, it's mostly conducted on men. And so all the symptoms and all the all the information that they put together, it's, it's mostly, I mean, not 100%, but mostly it's how it affects men. So if an issue affects a woman, the, the symptoms may show up differently and, yeah, for and sure. so it's, it's not, it's not, you know, they, they don't have the same, um, I guess, classifications, you know, like mm. with the autism thing. So. so that's totally logical as to why nobody knows anything or nobody knew anything about menopause is because it's never mm-hmm. been really researched. Yeah. Which is no surprise to us now. Oh, it's no surprise to us now. And I'm glad that we are talking about it, um, you know, and and doing research about it now. Like, I don't know if there's official, you know, research going on right now, but it's just at least we are talking about it. Because honestly, with menopause, I... uh, I'd heard about it. I thought, okay, there's hot flashes. Yeah. And you really? stop getting your period. Like I, I like honestly, I kind of thought that's what happened. My own mother never talked about it. Um, and I'm sure she never talked about it with her mother. Uh, I know my mom was on hormone therapy for mm-hmm. a number of years. And then mm-hmm. she said that even when she went off it, she had no symptoms. I mean, she was I think she was in her late sixties when she finally went off it, but Mm. she said she never had hot flashes, like nothing, nothing happened. So I can't, I can't even, I couldn't even talk to her about her experience with menopause because she never really went through it. I'm not, I I don't even know why she started with the hormone therapy in the first place. If she was getting Mm. um, symptoms, but she was on it for probably from 50 till close, close to 70 anyways. Oh so, yeah, so wow. I, I couldn't talk to her about it. Um, what a changing world we're in now. And there are certain right. things that I'm glad that it's a changing world now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. so if I may, can I pick your brains about like nutrition, major nutrition building blocks found you through following you on Instagram. So I know what sort mm-hmm. of advice you post, but can you share some of those tips with us if you're happy to here? And then at the end, we'll talk about your Instagram so that anybody can follow you there because it's. It's okay. great, simple building blocks and great education on there. So I love it. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, so as far as nutrition goes, um, you know, unfortunately, we do have to give up, you know, the process stuff. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's really, I'm not going to say it's as simple as that, but that's, that's a really simple starting yeah. point. So if you want to improve your nutrition, don't worry about calories, don't worry about macros, don't worry about, you know, carbs, don't worry about anything like that. Don't, don't eliminate a food group. Don't, you know, don't do anything like that. If you're going to eliminate anything, um, eliminate the processed foods. And what I usually start with is just instead of eliminating stuff, start adding things. So instead of having some potato chips Mm. or something, like if you're hungry and you want a snack and your snack is your go-to snack is potato chips, like have an apple first or have something else that's a whole food. Okay. You know, because whole foods actually they're not they're not just like carbs and calories or proteins. I mean there's like so much that goes into a whole food and the vitamins, the minerals, the phytonutrients, everything. They all they're all meant to work together. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that you're eating the carbs, you know, like or or anything like that. So my advice to when you're starting out just replace not replace but add in I never like to say to people, like, stop eating or Mm. replace stuff, like just add in. And then so eventually your your better eating habits will sort of crowd Mm. out your your not so so good eating habits. But um, so whole grains. I mean, I always think about whole grains as being like whole wheat bread. I always think about whole grains as being whole wheat bread, brown rice, mm -hmm. maybe brown pasta rather than white pasta. But Mm -hmm. what more is it than that? Because that's tiny. That's just a tiny section, isn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, whole grains, it's, um, you know, like your, your oats and your quinoa and, um, bulgur, um, farro there, like there's, there's all kinds of grains out there. Um, they're not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, a lot of people like to go gluten-free, mm-hmm. which is like really only about 10% of the population actually has celiac mm-hmm. disease, which they, they can't have gluten. Um, and then there's a, a small percentage of people that actually have a sensitivity to gluten. Um, so people who go gluten-free, they think it's um, a health choice, but unless you actually have a condition where you can't have it, it's just, it's, it's not a health choice. It's just a choice. Okay. It's a deprivation um, choice. You don't, you don't have, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you don't have to eat gluten and you can still be healthy and you can still have some whole, you can still have your whole grains. Right. Um, you know, you can have your, your quinoa oats, uh, oats do have an enzyme in there that's um, similar to gluten. So some people that can't have that actually can't have gluten also can't have this enzyme that's in okay. oats. But for the most part, you know, oats are, are technically gluten free. Um, so you can eat you can eat a variety of things. You just have to, you know, but if you are eating gluten free, just make sure that, you know, if you're buying your bread, it it is gluten free. Um, but you know, but for the most part, I mean, if you just eat a variety of whole grains, I mean, it's good um, for whatever, whatever you eat, like whether it's, you know, vegetables or whole grains or fruits or you know anything, variety is key so that you get that variety right. of nutrients and the phytonutrients. Um, you know, they say eat the rainbow. It's I, I find when I am talking to clients, when I'm talking to people about food, it's it almost sounds simple because it's going back to the the basics, mm. really. Like eat the rainbow, like eat, you know. Like it almost eat. sounds simple because it is simple. Well, it is simple, but it but, but at the same yeah. time, it's not. I mean, like everybody has a different idea of what they think good nutrition is. Fair um, 
and, and then there's also there's there's allergies and there's you know like sensitivities mm. and there's you know but all that aside so you know and when when I put posts out on social media or when I talk about it I'm always talking like generally generally speaking not if you have a specific condition mm. to that you can't eat or you shouldn't eat um, a particular thing so so you're really so not really, a fan of diets are you oh my goodness no. <laughs> No, no, I don't. I love. I don't believe in diets. (laughs) No, I don't believe in diets. I mean, diets are, and it's. I mean, I I I went to high school in the eighties. Like I I grew up in the eighties, and you know, so there was all the diets, and there was all the you know, fat was bad. You know, I grew up with margarine instead of butter because margarine was supposed to be back then. It was you know, better for you, and you know, it was fat free and low fat everything. And of course, now we know that that's not good. Mm to go that so even sometimes I have a hard time in my brain it's just the way that I grew up and the way that you know like I'm thinking okay so there's this diet that diet but no diets I am not a fan of diets mm-hmm. um mostly because they're restrictive yeah. and they don't work in the long term um you know if if you do go on a diet make sure that you know you're just supervised by a doctor and there's a reason to do it mm-hmm. um but for, for most of us, there's no reason to actually diet. We might want to drop a few pounds for some reason, but I'm also, I'm also, how do I say this? So I'm also not a fan of losing weight just to, just so you can fit into a size eight yeah. or six or, or whatever. And, and maybe it's because I'm 52 years old and I'm not 18 anymore. And so more, I, I care more about how I feel and how strong I am rather than how I look in a bikini. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody likes to look good in a bikini, but, um, but it's more about what my body can do for me now. And which is what I'm trying to get across to other people as well. So I'm not, I'm not a fan of diets, mm-hmm. um, especially if it's, you know, somebody wants to lose a bunch of weight. I'm more a fan of changing your diet mm-hmm. so that, it's something that, you know, like changing one habit at a time, making it one swap at a time, um, just one thing at a time. So it becomes part of your daily habits. And it's just something that you're going to do for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the reason I'm not a fan of diets, because the, none of the, there's no diet out there that you would want to do for the rest of your life. Um, you know, I've known people who who do keto and they say that that's how they're going to eat for the rest of their mm-hmm. life. And I mean, I have my own thoughts about keto, but if you think it works for you and your doctor's on board with it and, you know, you're making sure you're getting all your nutrients, you know, go for it. As long as you think that you're going to maintain it for the rest of your life, because there's no point in doing anything that's going to make you lose weight or feel a certain way if you're not going to carry on with that. Yeah. yeah, So, yeah, then that's the big reason that I don't like diets because people tend to go on them just to lose a certain amount of weight. And then once they're done, then they go back to the way they were eating. They gain the weight back usually plus a little bit more. And, and then they're worse off than they start than when they started. So it's just, you know, change your eating habits one by one, Mm -hmm. um, go for it. If you want to lose weight and this, and this is where I have, um, a problem when I do my marketing and stuff, because I'm not about, I'm not about weight loss. Mm. I'm about getting healthy. Mm. And sometimes that means losing some weight, mm. but that's not what I'm about. And, you know, I'm just about eating healthy, eating in a way so that your body gets the nourishment that it needs to, you know, get through your daily activities, but, you know, and then some, mm. so not, you know, you one, don't want to 
go to work. One question I have, and I'm asking it because I have absolutely no idea. So apologies for anybody listening if it's a really simplistic question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. With yo-yo dieting, which if you're going to diet, I think people generally yo-yo diet. You don't just do one diet in your whole life, as you say, because very rarely do people stick to it. Um, what mm. effect does yo-yo dieting have on your hormones? Does it have any long-term effect? Um, I'm actually, I'm not sure okay. um, if they have a long-term effect on your hormones. Um, it does have, it can have a long-term effect on your metabolism. Because mm-hmm. if you, if you do a lot of yo-yo dieting, and especially if you spend a lot of time, um, you know, restricting your calories, mm. then you can do a lot of damage to your metabolism that can take a lot of years to get it back to where it should be. Right. Um, so, you know, if you lose a lot of weight and you're really restricted and and then you sort of eat normally, you're going to end up gaining more weight because you've damaged your metabolism. And it takes a lot of, takes a lot of work with, um, you know, a nutritionist or, or a registered dietitian to get, mm-hmm. to get you back on track so that you're eating or at a level, a level of calories and a level of food quality so that you're actually helping your body. And then you get your body back to a metabolism level that, that works for you mm-hmm. because if you know your body gets used to like the body is great at keeping itself alive. Mm. And so whatever you do to it, it's going to, it's going to um, change whatever it has to just to keep itself alive. And so if it has to lower its metabolism and then it gives, then you give it a little bit more. It's like, haha, you're not, you're not tricking me into this again. <laughs> so I'm going to keep running at this metabolism. So it's going to, you know, make you pack on some, some, some extra weight because it's expecting you to, to deprive it again. Mm -hmm. Right. So like it it sort of goes up and down. So you have to do a lot of sort of restorative work with a nutritionist or a dietitian to help you get back on track. So, and as far as the hormones go, it's, I'm not sure if the yo-yo dieting actually affects the hormones, but um, it's, um, but your metabolism, as you, I mean, we've all heard our metabolism slows down Mm. as we age and they find that that's not now they're finding that that's not really the case that it kind of stays stable between sort of early 20s until 60 your metabolism does start to slow down a little bit at 60 not majorly but I think what it is it's just people as they get a little bit older and a little bit sedentary their metabolism metabolism slows down because they slow down right it's um it's it's not necessarily because you're older it's just as you're older and you tend to slow down the metabolism okay that is fantastic so fantastic to know because i have chosen never to buy into that and people go oh well i'm older i've put the weight on my metabolism slowed down okay, blah, blah, yeah. blah, and i have absolutely chosen yeah. to say you know what if i choose not to believe that then it's not my truth so if i'm living healthily then I can still mm-hmm. maintain a healthy metabolism. So the fact that you've said that makes me so damn mm-hmm. happy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. This is when I when I first read that. I first read that paper, and I was just like, I mean, because I was kind of the same way as you. I'm like, well, why does it have to slow down? Like, if I'm not slowing yeah. down, and it's still like I'm kind of eating the way I've been eating and exercise, like I'm not you know, like slowly gaining weight or like, even, even when I was going through perimenopause and everything, I didn't, I never gained weight. I mean, I, like I gained a couple of pounds, you know, depending on what I was doing or not doing at the time. But, um, 
you know, it, it's not even in perimenopause with, that your metabolism starts to slow down. It's when you're in, when you're going through menopause, yeah, that changes where you carry your fat, um, where women carry, I mean, when we're in our childbearing years, mm. it's lower down and then it kind of moves up a little bit. So that's why a lot of women find it all of a sudden they have a oh, belly yeah. when they're in perimenopause and going through menopause. You know, uh, and I was one of those people like my my weight didn't really change, but I felt like, where did yes. this where did this extra layer come from on my belly? But I have found that mm. since I'm on the other side and postmenopausal now that that's I don't yeah. have as much of a belly as I did before. So, you know, like I said earlier, like I only started studying mm. all this stuff sort of when I was mid 40s even and I'm only 52 now. So maybe I'm just making better food choices now and that's helping with the belly. But I it was almost magical once I hit post-menopause I thought oh like my belly is yeah. not not as big or didn't seem as you know, yeah you know pudgy as it was but like I said I was one of those women I didn't really gain weight it's just enough. okay I, I so I'm conscious of time because I always try and keep my podcast mm-hmm. to a certain time that people can do driving there 20 minutes driving back 20 minutes the whole show mm-hmm. <laughs> so we need to wind it up right um, what, <laughs> how can people find you? Because as I say, I okay. love the advice you give on Instagram. I love it. It's so, it's well-delivered. It's easy to digest. Ha ha, excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> um, and so I I'd love for people there. to be able to find you and follow you. So where can they find you? Okay, well, on Instagram, it's just at Kim Martin Nutrition Coach. Uh, on Instagram. And then I do have a website that's kimberlymartin.ca. And okay. um, Kimberly is spelled with an L-E-Y. To that, that is awesome. So. Well, Kim, thank you so much. It's been <laughs> wonderful to talk to you. I'm glad that we've connected beyond just Instagram chatting, which has been going on a while. Um, and so grateful that mm. you're here today and all the advice you yeah. shared. Thank you. Well, I hope it was helpful and thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to to speak with you today and to to be on your podcast. So, I'm looking I'm looking forward to listening to the the episode when it airs. What did you think of the show today? If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on. Also, you can come and join us at the Facebook group for the Magical Midlife. And on Instagram, if you're on Instagram, I'm under Lindsay DeSwart, where you will find the podcast being released there every Wednesday. I really look forward to seeing you there and hearing your comments and any questions. And please come over to the Instagram account or to the Facebook group where you will find downloads and free gifts to help you lead your most magical midlife. See you there.